Welcome to the Latina Libertarian Podcast with your host, Olga Maria, discussing a variety of topics, looking at growing liberty in our lifetime and opting out into a liberty lifestyle. Interviews with libertarians, activists, homesteaders, and friends. Join us in our liberty conversation. All right, having a little technical difficulties, but that's okay. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Latina Libertarian with your host, Olga Maria. Joining me this evening is uh, a friend of mine. Uh, we've met a couple of times and we've had the opportunity to work together. We're working on Erica Reddick's campaign. As you can see behind me, our friend Erica Reddick is running for U.S. Congress. And so we've gotten together on a couple of occasions at events, um, working with her on her campaign. And we've had um, some really great discussions as parents um, James Cross will be hosting his own podcast. It's going to be called Crosstalk 802. I don't know if you've started that, but he is from St. Albans, Vermont. He is born and raised in Vermont, I believe, or at least raised in Vermont pretty much all of your life, if I'm not mistaken. And we had some really good discussions on what has been happening in local schools and um, parental rights and what that is beginning to really starting to look like, and it's really scary. And I've spoken to him about running for office and he is running for justice of the peace. And so we're going to have this interesting discussion tonight. Um, and the reason why I wanted to jump on on a Monday night is because James uh, shared a tweet with me about a situation in a, in a local school here in Randolph, a high school where um, the girls volleyball team uh, expressed concern for a transgender student who is biological male who is in their team um, and some inappropriate situation happened in the locker room and so some of the students are speaking out and it's kind of created this whole situation and I thought this would be a great um, discussion so here we are James thank you for joining me and can you just tell us thank a you. little bit about your Yes, uh, my name is James. I'm a 31-year-old single father. I do have a podcast podcast named Crosstalk802, um, as well as a YouTube channel that I've been working on. As Olga so eloquently said before, I am uh, running for Justice of the Peace here locally in St. Albans. Um, I've been involved with the school boards and going and speaking and writing speeches and being ignored and then speaking again and then being ignored again and then getting emails from the school about inclusivity and, um, or no, what was it? Equal rights and inclusiveness. Um, and then I feel completely ignored by the school boards when you go and express a, a, a opinion that is different than your, theirs. And, um, so I'm just starting to get involved in my community and trying to make a change and fight back on some of these ridiculous things that are coming down the line. <clears throat> That's right. That was some of what we talked about that you had been going to school board meetings. And I was just like, as a, as a person of color, what is that like where they are trying to, I don't know, white explain you, I don't know what we call it. Um, you know, explaining to like that you're, you know, 
when you're expressing your concerns about um, CRT, about critical race theory, and they're like denying it, and you're explaining like exactly components of it that um, you're clearly seeing, um, can you talk a little bit about what some of those interactions have been? Because I think yeah, that so people I really miss what they look like when, you know, concerned parents and in particular parents of color are saying what you are trying, attempting to teach not only my child, but their friends who are not children of color is very concerning and is going to have a detrimental effect on them. And it is having a detrimental effect on them. It definitely is. And uh, my experience hasn't been great at all. Um, just to give you a little backstory of what it's like, um, I began speaking at the school board meetings probably like a year ago now. And at the first meeting I went to, um, rather, I didn't get to tackle the CRT issue the way I wanted. Um, it happened to be that day I went to that school board meeting. They had sent out emails saying, we're going to fly um, the BLM flag here on school grounds. And as a black man that was raised here, that is an alum of the very school we're speaking about, I felt a sense of responsibility to go speak forth and and explain to them. And I didn't believe that like the teachers or the administrators were coming out of malicious intent. I think they were uh, trying right. to be so equitable that they're singling out the majority here. And that's wrong as well. And so I... Normally, you're allowed two minutes. I spoke for eight, labeling off reasons, labeling off experience, labeling off personal experience and why this was wrong and what we really need to be focused on, like history and getting into that history and re um, revamping that history to tell the whole story. Because as a black man um, in a class that was a majority white or everyone passed as Caucasian, I remember sitting there and the teacher would be like, we're going to study American history and the revolutionary times and, and the Native American wars, and then we'll discuss Black history. And I remember feeling, whoa, my history is something a little bit different than American history. So I can't necessarily feel that pride um, as you see someone with the red, white, blue shirt, hat, and everything down the street because obviously this country wasn't for me and we just happened to be here. That's the feeling, I best way I can explain that a child is feeling in the classroom while they are doing these things. Yeah, I mean, I could relate to that because I remember, um, I went to school in the 80s. I was born in the 70s, so I remember um and it was in that, and I went to Catholic school. So I think there were certain aspects as I reflect now on my education that I could, I could look back now and see like, wow, there was already like a, a left, kind of a left leaning. Like I remember when we, we learned social studies, it became social studies. And, you know, there was just like FDR was like the end all and be all like he was the greatest yeah. and just some of the, and, you know, and I think it was just, you know, these were schools that were trying to be on par with, with what was being taught in public schools at the time. And I think that was where you, we already had this shift. Um, but certainly as a young Latina student and, you know, and I grew up in an immigrant neighborhood, so it was a little bit of everyone, but we, you know, right. the, the, the Latinas were still kind of part of this newer crew in that particular neighborhood. Um, there's certainly that sense of being othered, 
Um, and especially yes. if you're an immigrant, it's one thing, but you as an American born American who happens to be of black and of, of African descent, right? Like there is a different type of othering, I think. And, and it's almost like it's so, and I think what, what a lot of folks are missing is that what they're attempting to do and what they're doing is still othering people of color. Yeah. Um, exactly. in their eyes, they're trying to do it as a correction. Um, but it's, 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 it's still othering. And not only that, um, but you're hurting. Um, I mean, okay. So like you were around in the nineties, I remember in the nineties, I was, you know, coming of age it was like my late teens, my early twenties in the nineties, there was such a sensation of like what we were trying to achieve as a generation was unity, unity between mm. the races, you know, where the post-civil post-Civil War generation. And we went yep. from where there was just this flourishing of like music and artists who were um, complementing one another in different styles and genres um, as a way of kind of like progressing in a positive way yeah. to where I don't know what happened where it's just like now it's gone to this other extreme where we're even more divided. And so this attempt right. to be anti-racist is actually racist it's even more divisive because it's it's done at the expense of everyone um and yep. the thing is is like if you are not in line with the ideology which is you know it's it's neo-marxist uh, cultural marxism ideology honestly a lot of people aren't even aware um of of this level of propaganda because it's just like you know the the major corporations are on board right like they're flying all the right colors yeah. um just yeah. to get you to keep purchasing their products and and you feel like you're doing you know you're you're virtuous um right but i can imagine they want how us ignorant frustrating so we can be good consumers right and it's frustrating right. because it's your child, it's your children. And right. um, I've heard, you know, um, feedback from parents who have said that their child was best friends with another child. And, you know, each child respectively is of a different race and they've been best friends since preschool. And in, and in like fifth grade, they, they did a, um, they did a lesson where they were talking about race and racism and white privilege. And that day, like one of, you know, both of the kids went back home, each of them feeling very awkward with one another um, because of this. Lesson. One was kind of highlighted in one way and the other child was highlighted another way. Um, and both children expressed their, to their parents how um, they never looked at their best friend in that way. Um, and right. they created, schism of something they have no control over of something that neither were participants of um, but because of the school lesson it created that and if our goal is really to create unity right then we should be just allowing children to be children and teaching them you know don't be bullies don't hurt people don't take their stuff it's kind of the basic be kind to others so what and, is and that's exactly what that's exactly Come why on. I told the school board, that's exactly what I told the school board and asked the school board when I went multiple times. I said, what is the child who is not of black descent supposed to think when they've never thought, acted, or behaved in any racist manner because it's not psychologically on their mind? 
until they read that flag on the way into the school. And I have yet to receive an answer. <clears throat> the other thing is, it's I think it's a different dynamic here in Vermont when um, it would be one thing if um, this was in a community predominantly of color where there had been um, some type of a situation that, you know, students and families were feeling they had to rally around something. It's here it's being purely done um, right. as a way of uh, 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 imposing a political perspective yeah. on things and, and to do it in the setting where you have the most impressionable people, which is students. Um, and so I imagine that there's a lot of parents who are really uncomfortable um, with even speaking out because then you're going to be called a racist or, or you're become a pariah, um, even yeah. if you're not necessarily against what it stands for, but you just feel it's just not an appropriate place to do it. Right, right. It, I, if I had a dollar for every parent who has come up to me um, and said to me, you know, thank you. I saw you on the school board. Um, you know how they play the local channel. I saw you on that. It was so great to hear somebody saying these things. I'm so afraid, whether it's a teacher because she's two years from retiring, doesn't want to ruin her pension. Um, she's spent 30 years in the school. She just wants to get out the door, whether it's a young mother, parent, or a teacher who's got a young family that doesn't got a mortgage, can't afford to be fired or ostracized from her profession. Um, numerous teachers in high school, students, saying how we don't have a choice in this. We are pretty much told to get along or shut up. Those are your options. Right. Right. And it's just so sad. Um, and that's unfortunate. It is sad and it's frustrating too, because if every person who was uneasy about um, the curriculum and the direction generally that the culture in school has moved to, no matter your political affiliation, whether you are left-wing, whether you see yourself as left-wing, you see yourself as right-wing, whatever it is, the that that shouldn't be in schools. Right. I, either one. Like there shouldn't be, like schools is supposed to be where we are neutral. Um, mm. Students should not know the political, ideological perspective of a teacher. They shouldn't even know how they vote. Um, you know, back in the day, there was just kind of this certain um, level of neutrality and respect in a way that um, yep. you can have these discussions as students, you know, because there are current events and you can discuss them. Um, and you wouldn't necessarily know where your teacher really stood on a particular issue because they were professional and they were trying to teach you how to have these conversations civilly, how to think for yourself, how to develop an argument, maybe work the curriculum into like vocabulary or something like that, or science, depending right. on what the topic is. Um, but that doesn't seem to be happening. And, and I mean, and there's so much video. I mean, nowadays kids have cell phones, right? So like <laughs> kids right. are in the schools. Um, yes. And they are videotaping teachers who are clearly saying, if your parents voted for so-and-so, they're horrible people. If you don't, um, you know, there's there's uh, teachers um, that have been recorded telling uh, uh, 
saying that um, students will get extra credit if they go to a um, a, BL, a BML, BLM rally or an Antifa <laughs> rally or something like that. Um, and, and, and so many examples where they are chastising students or just blatantly um, propagandizing to these kids from their political perspective. Right. And clearly because of where we are right now today, if this was... 30 years ago in the 90s, let's see, where you had the, that Christian right movement. Um, mm. And, you know, there were situations where, I mean, the school, like, you know, people were in court, like people were like not having it. Like this was unacceptable. Um, and I think because there has been clearly um, right now, you have the regime, you have the media, and you have so many corporations that are are also wearing this banner that it, yep. it's it's a much different um dynamic Battle. of just how right of how powerful um this is um that that there right. is this uh, move in our culture into this direction and you have all of these entities um that are really pushing in that direction and the only, you know, people that are kind of standing in their way are, to a large degree are parents who are yep. saying enough is enough. And I applaud you for, you know, going to your school board meetings. And we've seen in the last um, year or so, like as COVID, um, the restrictions of COVID allowed children to go back to school and parents had finally seen what their kids were learning and going back to school. Um, it, it really just kind of unleashed. So, I mean, you're part of this greater movement of parents that are, are that have had enough. Um, right. So what is your, we, what is well, it like for your daughter? On the line. What is it like right. for her? Uh, well, yeah. Like <laughs> with the curriculum, like how intense is it or what, what are your observations been? My observation is, is that they're not really challenging the children. Um, I feel like it's more like, honestly i feel like she's going there and getting more of the social skills of like communicating with other children and playing and sharing and those essentials that you need um for example last week she came home and she was telling me that oh today daddy we 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 use skin color crayons and now, of course, you don't want to react in front of your child in a negative light to make them feel like they did something wrong. And I said, oh, nice. Like, what's your color? And ended the conversation. But then I had a conversation with an adult after. And I was very upset because my daughter, like you were saying before, the demographics is it's less than 2% black in the school that my daughter currently is going to. So literally, she's the only one of color in her classroom. So if it wasn't a singling out in the sense of like the teacher trying to single her out, but the children are going to notice that her color is different and want to discuss it, talk about it wish that they had that color whatever children do and I just I, I I'm not even sure how I'm supposed to feel about this because what I told my daughter is like Carmela the color of your skin has no no whatsoever uh, it, it does not matter when it comes to the important things like if somebody's polite if they're nice to you they're kind they don't bully people and 
they have a, a nice personality that you want to be around. Those are the things that we judge people upon, not the color of their skin, what they have, the school, the clothes they wear, etc. So it's literally down into the crayons they're using at the schools with this ideology of equity and inclusion. And it really, really upsets me because I believe my daughter should be focusing on, I don't know, the, the things that you're focused on in first grade, writing your name, um, writing, or writing your last name, uh, using sentences, and moving on to more difficult math. Reading, equation. writing, reading, math. writing, <laughs> exactly. But we're talking about skin color crayons. And it's just... It's and, just absurd and potentially and potentially gender identity and sexuality. I mean, I know I have a friend who teaches in Franklin County, actually um, young grades too. And, um, and actually I, I, I'm friends with a couple of teachers um, in my County um, who teach lower grades. And I kind of surprised at like now um, what, they could be introducing in school. So it depends like where you live, um, where you will have the curriculum available. And if you want to include it in first grade, like if you want to include that curriculum in first grade, you can. Um, and there's other um, school districts where it is like there is, this is what you're teaching. Like this is part of it. So um, I think in um, probably in like your county and my county, um, it might be optional, but maybe in Chittenden County or Washington County in some of those schools, it's not necessarily optional or, um, you know, they, they, they have teachers who are, you know, recruited or, and, you know, younger teachers that are coming out from uh, universities now where, I mean, they've, they've had like many years of this level of teaching and indoctrination, if you will. And they're, they're right. dying to go into the classroom and present this. Right. Um, there, there's so really numerous teachers. Sorry. No, and I'm just saying definitely like what you're saying in that there are so many teachers who are very frustrated, who are very concerned. They This is not what they want to be teaching. Um, they find it highly inappropriate, but the union is certainly not going to help them. If anything, the union is going to be um, very combative because the union is behind a lot of you know this curriculum so they don't feel right. like there's there's you know any any place for them to go except to, to quietly comply or to just try to go underneath the radar with you know maybe right. having the book in the room but the book is out of reach of the children so that you know they really can't get to because they feel like there's books that are just inappropriate for kids but they technically right. have to have it in the classroom Right. And I, I've caught myself feeling as a parent, well, well, I can't change the school. I'm not going to change the school board. I'm not going to change the administrators. So I'm just going to have to teach my daughter well when she's home. And we should not be having to feel that way as parents. When we publicly fund these schools, when we pay these teachers salaries, when we pay the administrator salaries, we should not be feeling like, well, the school's not going to do it, so I just got to make sure I do this at home extra on top of working and the other children you may have or whatever your life circumstances brings to you because 
it's not just about us. There's so many other parents that are probably even too busy to realize that this is even going yes. on, which is that I'm finding is a huge issue as well. And if you think about, we are not going to unteach what our children are being taught because they are in the school for how many hours a day? Seven, eight hours, six hours, yep. five days a week. That is a lot of time that your child is not with you and they are in an environment that you are not part of. And a lot of the times um, you're, you're not like, I don't like, do they, are there PTA meetings anymore? Remember, I remember PTA uh, meetings when I was, you know, a teacher, a young teacher many, many years ago. And when I was a kid um, where like parents and teachers would get together and they would discuss what curriculums they would discuss, like what needed to happen in the school. And it's, and I don't think that's happening at all. Um, and, and it seems I, to be almost that parents are considered intrusions. I mean, I, it wasn't there a situation where they were like, parents could be considered domestic terrorists for showing yep. up because they were yep. challenging school boards, school administrations. And um, I just want to let, uh, I want to acknowledge that um, Erica Reddick is with us. She said, nice sign. Yes. We were talking about you earlier, Erica. We love you. Erica Reddick.com. And then um, Suze is here Make sure too. You vote. Um, yeah, and she's many great statements. School administration, they work for us. I, I mean, that's the Amen. idea, right? But this is the problem with um, government education, government schools, um, right. because that's what it, what they are, and, and there's a particular thing. So to think that you can undo what's happening in the school, you, you're just not, it, you're competing against a, mom, a, a, a behemoth. It's a lot. It's a, a lot to put up against. Yeah. It's a machine. They treat our children like, um, like they're Skittles on the conveyor belt. Oh, let's get them in. Let's get them out. Let's get the next bunch in. Let's make sure attendance is up. Um, literally, I gave an eight-minute speech at the school board meeting, and the superintendent, the very next words out of his mouth were, well, we're going to move on, and we need to discuss uh, uh, attendance and making sure our attendance rates up. Well, why does he care about attendance so much? Oh, because that happens to reflect upon his job approval. So he's got to make sure attendance is up so he can keep his job to keep shoving this stuff down our throat. And well, also it, because it, of funding, James, they want their funding. And Vermont happens to be one of the states where – we um, have one of the highest per student um, uh, budgets. Um, I don't remember the number, mm -hmm. Erica, if you remember. I don't know if it's it's almost like $20,000 per student that schools are getting. And this is why homeschooling is such a threat to government schooling. Um, more and more parents are homeschooling their kids in Vermont. And it's definitely a threat because of the, the impact that that can have on budgets, especially if parents start to lobby um, to want the money that that funding that follow to, to follow the child. So rather than that right. money go to the school where the child is not attending, that money goes to um, the student, to the family. But it's really true. Um, and there's so many things that are happening in our schools. And it's um, it's amazing to me that more parents aren't um, as vocal as as they could be, and I and right. and so what do you think plays into that? I mean, I'm sure it's just they're intimidated 
Um, but at the end of the day, it's like, it's your child. What do you think are some of the factors when it comes to that? Um, I think the, there, there's, like you were saying, there's numerous of factors, just to list a couple. I would say a lot of young parents. You're having a lot of people have children younger. You're having a lot of people have children out of wedlock. You're having a lot of people have parents without um, whole houses. Uh, um, sorry, can't think of the name. Uh, households. You're having parents that are not in two-parent households. So, you know, one parent's overwhelmed and or the parent doesn't have enough time, etc. So the disintegration of our culture, I think, factors into it as well. And then you add on the school makes it sound like it's nothing. It's not a big deal. You know, they'll send it out in an email and a newsletter, tuck it in the back <laughs> and pray that you don't notice it. So I think there's a, a combination of ignorance and the unawareness. Um, not that I'm not saying parents don't love their children. I'm just saying that, uh, we just got, I was one, I was one, I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't focusing on what was actually being taught to my child. Um, mm -hmm. And in speaking from experience, it does take a lot to be aware of it. Um, I would right. like to say that COVID is a huge factor as well. I think some parents got more LinkedIn and some parents got on LinkedIn and some parents who have a different view of um, the things that have been going on than us think that the school has been doing a good job and they handle COVID well due to the circumstances and et cetera, and give them the benefit of doubt, which with our children, we cannot afford. Right. Susan is asking, what was your eight minute speech about? Uh, my eight minute speech was about why BLM flags, we should not be flying mm -hmm. them at the school. For example, I listed off, I said things like, does flying a flag, does does my humanity mean so much to you that you need a, fly a flag to remind you that I'm deserving of it? Um, mm -hmm. I said things like, do you realize you're, tr you're, you're, you're teaching a divide in these children and I'm speaking as one of them that, hey, American history is over here. Black history is over here. And they're not the same thing. So you create a divide in the mindset of these children. And you wonder why we're having so many issues with um, division and the generations that are coming up and then coming out of school. Um, I remember feeling like I hated my country because it wasn't for me. I hated the state because it wasn't for me. And that couldn't be mm -hmm. further from the truth you got to go by circumstance to circumstance. I was saying to them how it's, it's completely hypocritical that you're saying that you're being inclusive and talking about equity, but yet here I am a minority father and you're completely just shutting me up. So what is it? Do you really believe in equity and inclusion of thought or are you just saying it because it sounds nice? <clears throat> well, you know, I always say this, the, the word, equity is, um, it's very deceptive because it sounds an awful like, a lot like equality, which, um, you know, when we were growing up, it was about equality, right? Equality of opportunity, you know, the civil rights movement was about um, equality, like equal access, and everyone should have, um, you know, the, the equality um, 
of uh, of their dignity as a human being like you kind of baseline right. and then what you do with that is on you um but right. you shouldn't be excluded um you know from opportunities based on whatever right but and, um, and that's exactly what equity, they're doing is excluding exactly excluding because equity is not about equality equity is about um <laughs> distribution and it's interesting yeah. that that the over the last few years they've gotten rid of equality and they've replaced it with equity so now we have a whole generation that they don't understand this concept of equality all they hear is this word equity um but they they're not really understanding what equity is and equity is like re, is about redistribution um it's about centralized government it's about you know top-down authoritarian government control and you're going to have a small group of people that's going to decide what everyone is supposed to get um right. so it's very deceptive because it's you know people so many people really believe that it, it is about um something positive and wonderful things and um language words matter and language is really important mm. and it's being used in a way, I believe, to manipulate people when 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 they're not understanding um, what really the word means and what what's the intention behind it. Um, right. So a good a good example of that is the reduction, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act. It says it's going to reduce inflation, but it actually does the exact opposite. It's but they're betting on your ignorance. <laughs> they're betting on your ignorance. Right to get it passed to fund whatever they wanted to fund with it. It's like, we're going to fix the problem that we created by doing more of what caused the problem. You know, it's a circular, right. Ridiculous. Cause we're not, we're Circle. not supposed to understand, you know, economics. We're not supposed to question, you know, um, the federal reserve and, and why they can just print money in this way. And like, the more you have the right, the more currency you have floating around causes inflation and that devalues the value right. of it and all this other stuff. But yeah, we're, we're exactly. We're just, you know, it's like clickbait. It's just like you hear something. Oh, that's great. They're going to fix it. And they're, you know, oh, great. They're going to give me a $600 right. check that's going to make everything better. And it's like, remember all those $600 checks? Remember all that extra money um, you were getting? Remember they were paying you not to go to work? Well, here's the piper. For now. And, you know, you're right. paying the piper right now and it's 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 going to get worse. Um, um, uh, I feel other, like we should. I feel like um, I just wanted to bring up the point of that. I wanted to at some point talk about the solutions that I think that we have to try to combat mm -hmm. this machine that Thank we're you. going up yeah. against as parents. So what are some, I, what are some solutions that you have? And, and thank you for bringing it up because that is so important. I feel like, um, we need school choice. I know that's something that we hear all the time, but we need to actually, find candidates like a Erica Reddick who supports school choice and then ride with them, vote for them, get the word out for them, get them on the school board. Because here in my county, for example, this gentleman named Eric Rear Erickson, he moved from Minneapolis um, like two years ago. He's on the school board now. And he is the one pushing this inclusion and equity stuff. He's a black gentleman and I feel like he has our complete school board hostage and every other people are afraid to speak out against him. So we need to get people on the school boards that are going to be willing to speak up. We need to have 
it, we need to have some kind of parent oversight board where in each community with each school, we have a group of parents elected by the parents. I don't know all the ins and outs of how it would work, but I just have that's the idea supposed of it. to be the school board, but the school board's just, and, and that's the thing. It's like people have to run for their school. Like every year in every district, there's a school board seat that's up, up at least one. And this right. is just what, and that's what you're describing is like, that's what the school board is supposed to be. The school board is literally right. supposed to be the check to the balance, um, right? Like where we elect people that are going, you know, from the community, because why? Because this, what's this, what's the public school? This public school is the government, it's the government school. Right. So you have to have right. that community component. And like, so, so it's crazy that, that, you know, we're trying to be like, how can we fix this? Because the mechanisms that exist have been co-opted. Like you're saying, right? And and I think there's a lot of validity to what you're describing, where, um, you know, there's folks that that um, have a very particular ideological, um, I view, and they're they're perhaps backed and supported, um, and going into certain positions and really like being part of this move to just change completely, um, in very negative ways that impact children, that impact families, and that impact the future. I mean, we can see now with some of the behavior um, and some of the challenges that young people face who, who have left school, um, who don't know how to read, who really struggle with some basic job skills, who really struggle right. with basic life skills. And, you know, all of these years in government schools and all of these years, you know, in education is supposed to prepare them and they're ill-prepared um, because the education system isn't doing it. Um, and so it, and, and I think definitely like what you're saying is true. We have to step in and get involved, run for your justice of the peace, run for your school board, run for your select board, start getting involved, start going to the meetings. It, it can be, you know, a bit overwhelming. It can be scary, but there's probably like three or four or five other people just like you Feeling and you know you, you, yeah and just like if you go to one meeting like bring a friend with you if you need a little courage and at least to start hearing what's happening at the meetings um earlier this year um i'm gonna put michelle's uh county Lamoille has parents on a school board and has school choice well school choice is um not necessarily michelle that you can go from one district to another school choice is actually something different School choice is when you're able to utilize the funding um, that comes from the state and the federal government, and you're able to utilize that to put your child in any school, public or private. Um, so that's what the school choice is. And we don't have that in Vermont. And I, I think they passed it in New Hampshire. Um, and it's a big threat, right? Because why? Because the the government schools and the unions want to have a monopoly on education, right? They don't <laughs> yeah. want that funding going anywhere else. They want to keep it. Um, so right. we and, certainly have and to. It, and you cannot yeah. hold teachers accountable. You cannot hold a bad teacher accountable. It takes more to fire a teacher um, now in the union than it does if you had um more say so in the school districts thing and not the monopoly that we're speaking about because and also if you have a private school and a public school that are right next to each other and the private schools getting all the admissions that's going to hold that public school accountable to either step up their game or to close out 
and obviously they don't want that. And that's, and well, and the thing is, it's like, this is why we need free markets. And, and this is an example of where free markets work. If you have a product and you have a competitor, right? So that's going to say, wow, what is my competitor doing? They're getting some of my, my, you know, they're getting some of my, um, of my people that are buying or that are getting their service there or my customers, Assume right? It. Oh, th their prices are good. Okay, but well, I'm going to keep my price, but I'm going to offer X. I'm going to offer more, or I'm going to make sure I have better customer service. I'm going to make sure I have better um, output. I'm going to make sure I have better results. Um, and that competition is healthy. And in so many aspects, right, and in particular education, we don't have that. The government now has a monopoly in education. And then on top of that, you have the unions, which is essentially kind of like another government. Um, yeah. and, and they, it's the mob they not only that, but they control the, um, so much of the political machinery, right? They want the teachers to vote a certain way. And then they make these, um, promises. They make these deals with politicians and with agencies and with corporations. Um, and the only way that, and that we're going to get to that place is like you're saying, people need to get involved in their school boards. And we have to start advocating for decentralization of the education system. We have to start bringing everything down local, as local as possible. Um, yep. But um, I, I wanted to get to the other situation that you brought to my attention, which is um, there was an issue in Randolph High School last week, I believe, um, uh, about a week ago. And what's going on is that um, there's a, a girls volleyball team and there's a transgender student, a biological male transgender student on that volleyball team. And there was a situation where um, the girls were in the locker room changing and the transgender student um, went in the locker room and there's some, some inappropriate stuff happening. Um, but the way the school responded to it, um, it has really put parents um, in a very uncomfortable situation because they feel like um, what's being given a priority is um, making sure that they're not um, like, I guess, hurting the transgender uh, um, student or movement rather than listening to that, the fact that these girls um, don't feel safe, that they felt violated and that this isn't a, a space. Um, but anyway, you brought that to my attention. So what are your thoughts on it? And then I'll share the clip. So some of the thoughts I had on that are, I just could not believe that I was reading this in Vermont. And like the first thing I did was look up the distance between my school and Randolph. And I'm like, wow, it's really in our, it's really is in our backyard. Like, it's not a joke anymore. It's not something you can just say. Um, first off, I just want to commend that girl that spoke up, um, the immense amount of leadership that came out of this child gives me so much hope and inspiration for the future. And it just gave me so much energy to fight forward because if somebody this young is understanding that this isn't okay, then maybe there is hopes to get adults to understand and to come aboard and to put their political aside and let's put common sense on the front burner. Um, I just don't understand why they would punish the whole team. So the t so from what I'm understanding is that the team came out and expressed that they did not 
like this, as well as the transgender individual said some comments that were not appropriate that led to these girls feeling uncomfortable. So I'm not sure why the school decided to close the locker rooms. Nobody's allowed in there and punish the whole team. I granted, I do want to be a little bit fair. And they said that they're investigating it. So I want to be, um, I just want to be careful with my words and give them a chance to investigating it. But we're not even sure if they're investigating the misconduct with the words and the uncomfortable or if we're investigating whether or not these girls have a right to feel uncomfortable with a biological male in their locker room. I mean, all right. So I'm going to, I'm going to, um, I'm going to share the, I'm going to play the, um, I'm going to play the clip here. Volleyball team has been banned from its own locker room while school officials investigate a conflict involving a transgender student on the team. Kiana Burks is live outside of Randolph Union High School where she with one of the players who's now facing disciplinary action. Kiana, what do you know? policy says that students can play sports and use whatever locker room corresponds with their gender. But some members of the Randolph girls volleyball team say that they object to have one of their transgender teammates use be in the room while they change. I spoke to one of the girls. It's a huge thing. Everyone's asking, like, so why aren't you allowed in the locker room? Like, High school student Blake Ellen and her teammates are currently barred from using the locker room after some of the girls on the team objected to allowing a transgender player in the girls' locker room. My mom wants me to do this interview to try to make a change. Ellen says the dispute started when the trans student made an inappropriate comment while members of the volleyball team were getting changed. She says her issue is not with having the trans student on the team or at the but specifically in the locker room. Biological boys that go in the girls' bathroom, but never a locker room situation. She says that fellow team members and parents have also raised similar concerns and have approached the school with them. They told that under state law, the transgender student could use whatever locker room they identified with. In an email to families, school officials said that the school had plenty of space where students who feel uncomfortable with the laws may change in privacy. They want all all the girls who feel uncomfortable, so pretty much 10 girls to get changed in a single style bathroom, which would take over 30 minutes, when if one person got changed separately, it would take a minute, like no extra time. In the email to parents, school officials say they are conducting an investigation into allegations the girls harassed the transgender student. Lisa Floyd, the co-principal of oh. declined to go on camera, but in an email told me that student safety was the district's highest priority and that when policy are violated disciplinary action consistent with the law will be taken we also reached out to the state education agency but didn't get a response aoe policy states in part that the use of restrooms and locker rooms by transgender students requires schools to consider numerous factors but the policy goes on to state that a transgender student should not be required to use a locker room or restroom that conflicts with the student's gender identity so every girl, no one's allowed in the locker room, no volleyball girls, even during school to get changed for gym class, no one's allowed from volleyball. And the school says that their decision to close the locker rooms and launch the investigation should not be seen as judgment on either side of the dispute and say that they are continuing to work to the safest environment for all of their students. Reporting in Randolph, Kiana Burks, Channel 3. So I had I so had a I couple find it of interesting that at the at the end they said it's interesting at the end that they said um, 
excluding the volleyball students from just the volleyball students, she the girl clarified just just them. They're not allowed to use it even for gym, not just for their volleyball right. practice. So they're not allowed what to is use that, that for their locker room. But the, it shouldn't be seen as a judgment against them. It's it's just like okay, but they're clearly being punished because now no one like they're not allowed. Other girls can use it, like other students who are not in the volley, but they're they can't use it. But right, and, and I caught for the first time. I've heard that clip like three or four times now, and the what they're investigating is the allegation of harassment of the transgender student. Oh, at the end, so too. Right. So they're not investigating the words and the uncomfortable bil- comfortableness that these girls were feeling. I feel like these girls are being railroaded. Like, I well, want to know what the... the... What I was going to say is that the, there's also an article that was written that you shared with me. So I just found this clip of local news. So this actually is um, in other news media, like around the country. I was surprised because I didn't really hear about it, but I was busy with the festival. So I wasn't really paying attention to the news, but, um, but in an article you sent me, there was a lot more detail about the fact that what happened was that the girls were already in the middle of changing. So they were in their bras and their panties, they were putting on their shorts and they were putting on their, and the, the, the transgender student came in while they were undressing while they were in the middle of that and um, went kind of like to a corner and was standing there watching them. And the, and then actually one of the girls said, as soon as the student came in said, you have to wait until we're done or something like that. Like you can't be here right now, like wait until we're finished, um, I guess so that they can take their turn. But the student like didn't listen and went in and stood there and watched them and the girls were feeling uncomfortable. And then the student made a comment um, Gosh, I remember reading it, um, something to the effect of um, like my hormones are kicking in or some, anyway, some, something like that, oh my that really, that really made them uncomfortable. And then that's when, you know, that's when one of the students actually went to like the principal or the vice principal and made the complaint um, and then they escalated, but all of these students together are on a volleyball team. I think the young girl makes an interesting point. She says, I'm not, I don't have a problem with the student being on our team. It's just a question of the locker room, which I think, especially for teenagers, um, you know, this is, you know, transgender students in uh, period is something that's relatively new. Um, the way that we're seeing it in schools, this is something that is very new. And I think it is um, not unfair that young women would express that, um, like she said, we're not, I don't have an issue with this person being in the team, but I think they should just change in a different bathroom or, you know, wait for, or wait for them till they're done or something like that. Um, and apparently like they now have to change within a bathroom that has one stall. So she said, why not have, you know, the other person change in that one stall and we're just changing in the locker room because that makes more sense. Right. right? The accommodation right. is still made for the student. Um, but I remember, saying, I remember when I played football, we had a young lady who wanted to play football. And there was 30, 20 some odd guys in one locker room. 
Oh, you froze. Uh, you still there? Yep. Am I still here? Yep, you're still here. Okay. You said there was 20 and, some odd guys in one locker room. Right. And she had a whole locker room or bathroom if we were on the road all to herself. And we all respected right. her space. I don't understand why um, the individual who is transgender can't respect their space. I don't care if it's male on male or female on female. Some females are uncomfortable changing in front of other females. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, judgment and all the things that come with being a children. Yeah. And I think the the other part of the of the article that I read that you shared with me, um, which I'll I'll try to can you send me that again? And then what I'll do is um Yes. I'll try to add it here so like people can click on it. I'll add it to the comments here. Um, you know, parents were commenting, right? Parents were being interviewed by different media about their daughters in this situation. And so there were so many parents who said, you know, they they were scared to, to say their name. I think with the exception of one father, all of them were like anonymously expressing that they felt like their daughter's concerns and their safety was not the priority of a school. And right. that, um, you know, the, the school was saying, we are concerned about, you know, that everyone is comfortable, you know, that, that the student is comfortable referring to the transgender student, but the parents were saying, but, but why are you not equally concerned with the comfort and safety of our daughters who are telling you that they didn't feel safe, that they didn't feel calm, they felt very uncomfortable. Um, but, you know, the fear that they, they were, not only were they afraid to say their name like for for the moment because of like locally they were afraid because their daughters who have been in athletics you know throughout high school some of them have the goal of playing sports in college they were afraid that this would affect their daughter's prospect um on being recruited for a scholarship potentially um, so, so there's just so much fear that parents have that they can't even speak their mind necessarily to express because now um, everything is just supposed to be accepted. And like I said earlier, this is something that is so new and it's almost like there's no, we're not allowed to have any nuance in this situation. I, nope. I, I, I feel for the student that is transgender and that wants to participate in sports and that is trying to understand themselves and that is going through something. Amen. I think that's very real. Um, at the same time, I think it would make sense if there was, um, you know, maybe the students can come together and figure out like what's the best way for them to work together. Maybe the student doesn't want to be in the bathroom with them, but felt like there wasn't another space for them to go. Maybe they didn't know that right. there could be an account. I mean, I don't know the situation, um, but it's just like, okay, so in Vermont, it's the law that they can do this and um, doesn't necessarily seem like that is, is the best solution. And because of that, a lot of parents are so afraid to speak out. Which, which was leading me to feel like, so they said it, it's in the law. So therefore we need to get somebody that's in, um, leadership that's in a position. I don't know if they're in the legislative. We need to find an ally that's inside the dome, the nice golden dome in Montpelier, to try to change the law, not to exclude anybody, but to ensure these young ladies' safety. 
because this is such a, I know if it was my daughter, um, I wouldn't have been anonymous and I wouldn't have been going there with a nice attitude where um, it probably wouldn't have ended well because you only, those type of situations, you only get one moment and it's either going to affect somebody and have a lasting effect. And I, I don't feel like at school I should have to be worrying about those situations. But yet, here we are, 2022, worried about biological boys in the female's bathroom. And like you so eloquently said, I don't want to discriminate against anybody. I completely understand the transgender individuals wanting to participate in sports, wanting to be a part of the school community. I have no ifs, ands, or buts about that at all. But we need to ensure that we're keeping our children safe, that we're respecting each other's space. You remember when we were students, children, there was this thing called personal space where everybody was allowed personal space. Well, now the whole locker room, the whole team is not allowed their adequate personal space to participate in a sport that probably doesn't even, to begin with, have a lot of um, excitement to play. And it's probably going to end up hurting the sport for the school in the long run because people are going to be like, ah, I don't want to deal with that. I'll, I'll play baseball or whatever, you know? Yeah, I mean, and that's not, we're not even s touching on the the greater issue of um, transgender individual in sports when you have, the, you know, those who are born biologically male and women's sports and, and that whole thing. And, and, and the, I would say the, the backlash that's beginning to happen even in professional sports, like as we saw um, in the swimming competition. Um, yeah, like where they're really like so many sports um, where women's um, records are, are just being obliterated right now on, on all the levels, like professional level, college level. Um, and we're seeing that Especially in those so, individual you know, sports too. Especially those individual right. sports like um, track and field, swimming, um, tennis, right. where it really is your physical paralysis and dedication that leads you to the victory or the record or etc where i obviously will have a physical advantage over a girl um of my same age you know it's just biology and those are the sports where if you are a high school student and you are you know you're looking at athletics as a way to um, advance into college um, and to utilize that, you know, as a scholarship or you want to participate on a national level um, or an Olympics um, to have that opportunity um, be, taken. be taken away in that way. Um, and I just think we are seeing so many um, transgender folks who are competing in sports, I almost wonder if it would make sense that there would be um, a transgender category, you know, male or female in these sports, if there's going to be more folks competing, because it's clear that there is, there are disadvantages if you're born biologically male, and you're competing in a woman's sport. Um, right. And, you know, these are just one of the taboo things that we're not supposed to be talking about, that there's differences in, in sex and in gender. Um, but biologically, there are. And, you know, when you see them, especially like, you know, later in high school and college and, and young adults, I mean, you see the physiological differences 
Um, and, and we're seeing that in sports, right? We're seeing like what it looks like when you have a transgender female who's born biologically male competing in these sports and how they're obliterating, um, you know, the, the, the records, the right, you know, in, in the, the, the competitions that are happening. Right. Um, but um, yeah, it's really okay. challenging because it's hard to talk about because you're, you're, I guess we're not supposed to be having these types of conversations. We're just supposed to accept the narrative as it, as new it is it as it is. This is a new right. narrative. We're supposed to accept it as if it's something that's always been this way. And that's, I think that's the scariest part to me is that we're not allowed to have these conversations or, I mean, it's um, people don't want you asking these questions. They don't want you um having these thoughts, right? It's like, if we're supposed to be a monolith of, of ideas, right. we're not supposed to you know, express these concerns or these questions. It all matters where you land on the victim. Um, I call it the victim scale. So for example, if you're a um, transgender black biological female, you're very high up on this victim scale. So it gives you more credibility to speak about these issues. That seems to be the way they want it to work. But unfortunately, we live in a nation that free speech is protected in our constitution. And until they remove that, I'm going to be on this rooftop shouting because this is ridiculous. And I just want to say, why do you think we haven't seen a trans, a biological woman who has transition to male try to make the nfl interesting i'm just asking <laughs> the question <laughs> yeah i mean there's been a, there's been very few um male to female well i'm rather there's been very few female to male there there ha there are some in some right. sports there there's a couple but predominantly it is male to female going into the sports. And so the whole question, I mean, just as a woman, um, you know, it was very, um, it's been a struggle for women to um, be represented in particular sports. I mean, women were not allowed to run in marathons. I think the, the first woman to be allowed, well, she wasn't even allowed, the first woman to run in the Boston Marathon, I want to say it was like in the late 60s or the early 70s, she had to do it like, and they were they, they they were trying to pull her out of the Boston Marathon. Like women were not allowed to run in marathons. Um, you know, right. in tennis, you know, they didn't they didn't promote like women playing tennis up, up until you know all of these things like kind of like in the seventies where women were starting to gain their own spaces in professional sports. Um, the W the WNBA the N, the WBA yep. right the Women's Basketball yep. Association. Um, that started like in the nineties, right? Like, and that really didn't right. take off until like the two thousands. Um, right. And that, you know, and that's been a struggle. The same thing with soccer. Um, it's there. But all those but, advancements you know, are, are being, all those advancements, sorry to cut you off, but all those advancements mm -hmm. you speak of are the very ones that they are spitting on and trampling all over by throwing the rules to the side and allowing whoever to compete. It, it's disrespectful to that woman, the first one to run that marathon, to allow women to be able to have the privilege they should have had. But we all face um, trials and tribulations, whether we want to talk about race and gender, but it's disrespectful to the memory of these 
trailblazing women that we should be lifting up and showing off and teaching our youth about to, for example, Leah Thomas won the swimming national championship. That means she got the sponsorships. That means she's got the money for it. And um, that means she's got the position for the Olympic standings. I was watching a woman who finished second to her. So she wasn't the finisher. And she was like, but I'm a woman to the judges. And they're like, too bad. This is how it's going to be. It's already been decided. We want her to get the, the press and the good um, whatever for it. And this is how it's going to be. So they didn't even take and consider this woman who they completely tore down to lift this man up in a woman's division. It's just so sickening to me. I can't wrap my mind around it and I didn't mean to cut you off. <clears throat> is that is that the one of the picture where the um Leah Thomas is the transgender female that won the was first place. Is that correct? For Penn State, yes. For, right. Oh that's the what it was right. And then I believe I believe the 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 follow-ups so like the second and the third place and maybe even for i don't know like they were in a completely separate like there was a picture where it was supposed to be like all right. of them and so like leah thomas's and like all of them literally moved to the other side and it, right. it's it's a very poignant photo because you have you know um this transgender individual but who's clearly like bigger and taller and clearly male you know male presenting and then, you know, you have the three, I think it was two or three females. And, and, and it was almost like these are the first, second, you know, these are first, second and third place, honestly. Like that was what the picture right. showed. And they were all like as, as far to the corner as you can go. But I think that's very telling. And I think that, um, you know, we have to start um, having these conversations, I think, because I, there has to be a point where we're also want to be fair to the transgender individuals who want to participate in right. competitive sports. And I just think there's a place where um, we should, you know, there should be some solutions and it shouldn't be erasing females and it shouldn't be erasing what we've accomplished. We shouldn't be erasing our spaces in sports and it shouldn't be excluding anyone either, but there, ha there, but we can't, we're, there's no opportunity to discuss a middle ground right now because it's so ideologically driven that if you try to yep. bring up, you know, any concerns or facts or anything like that, it's like, you know, all of a sudden That's you're, 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 bigger, you're, you're that. And you'll literally be accused of causing violence to transgender people. If you say these things, I've literally heard this as a response in a congressional hearing um, where a woman who was a doctor from UCLA right. told Josh Hawley that he was uh, participating in uh, violent speech or however they word it and could cause violence right. to transgender people just discussing it. Right. Because they don't want to get down to the facts. Right. Well, and it's also a wonderful way to silence because if you can say the mere fact of you asking a question or making a comment is going to equal people losing their minds and just behaving violently against, you know, X group of people. Well, then you don't get to really have any discussion, right? Then there's no discussion to be had. You just have to accept what you're being told by, you know, the, the authorities 
and that's it. So imagine if back in the day, people were saying, well, you can't talk about racism and you can't talk about right. how it's affecting people because you're creating, you're going to create violence against, you know, X people. And it's just like, we've heard this before, right? It's just a form of censorship. Right. It's a form of silencing so that, so that we can't have the discussion. If we were allowed to have civil discussions, um, I know many transgender folks who are not on board with this and um, have had wonderful conversations with them because you're able to have conversations. And this is like the great thing about being a libertarian is that we kind of already come at this from the fact that um, we already have like kind of radical views when it comes to this. We want to radically decentralize the government. We want to radically decrease the government. We want much more freedom for individuals. We believe that individuals... We have this crazy idea that individuals can figure out how to live their own life and how to di mm. <laughs> dictate for themselves. So crazy. So, <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's crazy. So we have this, you know, really cool and productive conversations with folks because we're not trying to come at it with, you know, you have to agree with everything, everything. It's more like, okay, like I respect you as an individual. I think you, as an individual, you have every right that every other individual should have. And, and we believe that individuals... One group of people should not have more rights than another group of people. Like we have to come out this with right. individual rights, with every individual has the right to life, liberty, happiness, and property. Um, mm -hmm. Right. Cause everyone has their right to self-ownership and whatever that means for you as an adult um, have at it, as long as you're not hurting anyone. And as long as you're not making right. other people pay for it, um, that's right. kind of like a central idea, but we we but we need to be we need to have the space to have the conversations and so i appreciate that you're here with me having this conversation um so how can people get in touch with you so um you're on on twitter hashtag crosstalk 802 yep. you yep. are running for so you're running in st albans yes yeah, st albans town or, i'm running for justice of the peace okay which is important. And, um, I'm, I'm for also, Justice of the Peace too for Johnson. <laughs> really? Two Justices of the Peace. Yeah, that's so cool, Hopefully right? Hopefully we'll be calling each other judge soon. <laughs> I don't think we're judges. I, I, I've been wondering if they call them justices or judges. No, it's a justice. A judge is something totally okay. different. Although um, in the off case that, um, I think it's on the, it's a county position in the off case that there's something that goes on with like a, the judge in your, that they need like some type of help. They may reach out to you for something very particular, but that's super rare. Um, but typically justice, uh, justices of the peace, um, have a role with, you know, the local elections They're kind of, they're making right. sure everything is the way it's supposed to be. You're just kind of helping, um, in that electoral process. They have a role when it comes to property taxes. Um, yeah. kind of, I think, I don't know if it's with, um, assessments or if there's any type of, um, abatements and stuff. Yeah. Conflicts. So, I mean, so it's, it's I, kind I'm, of important actually, if you think about on the local level. Right, and you have you also have the privilege to marry people as well. Um, I have a question and for you. you can, yeah. Um, I I was speaking to a fellow justice. Oh, I'm not a justice yet, but I was speaking to a justice here in St. Albans, and she was saying to me that um, the first thing I want to say to you, she says, is that you need to. She's like, "Are you Republican or a Democrat?" And I was like, "I'm a Republican." And she was like, "Well, I just want to say that you have to marry everyone." Now, wouldn't 
that technically be wrong? Because if I'm going by the Constitution, if my religious beliefs were to obeyed me from doing a certain marriage, wouldn't I have that right? I'm not saying I am. I'm just saying, wouldn't I have that right, though? Um, I don't know the answer to that. That's a good question. I can't imagine you would be forced to do anything because every town has a certain number of justices. Right. So if you weren't available for whatever reason... Um, there's other folks that could do it. Um, so, but that's an interesting question. Right. I thought I've been thinking about that one. I'm most also excited the that fact you that have said it. that to you because you said Republican is kind of rude. Right. I, I just felt a little, I felt a little weird about it. Like, eh, of made you course you can't it. see me. What if, right. Right. Why are you saying that? Like what made That's her, weird. I wonder what clicked in her brain that made it say it to me, you know, because I said I was a Republican or would she have said that to anybody? Well, that's like saying if you were, if you were a Democrat and she, and the person, if you were a Democrat and the person was conservative, it was like, you know, you have to marry, um, you know, if, if Christians want to marry, like, you, you know, I don't know. Like, it's just, it's kind right. of like making that <laughs> assumption. But now you know you could also next time you could run as a libertarian. I'm running as a libertarian. We actually have a few justices that are running as libertarians this time around. Um, there's a few of us running in uh, Johnson. Um, there's one of us. He's technically running as an independent because of the the timing, um, but he's in Shrewsbury. Um, but you know, so if if you want it next I, time, you know, I definitely uh, believe I wonder, align more with libertarian views. I'm completely fed up with the Republican Party. What they did to Erica was completely um, unacceptable. It wasn't like they didn't know either because I was messaging Paul Dane without Erica knowing, like saying, hey, Erica's projected to win this nomination. So if she wins, are you going to utilize the party and unite behind this candidate and support this candidate and push this candidate because we have too much on the line to play party semantics? And, he, and literally all he said to me was, I don't have all the money in the world and we'll do what we can. What kind of leadership is that? When we have issues like mm. uh, when we have Becca Ballot getting funding from the LBGTQ PACs and um, there's another Bernie big PAC that she's getting money from, Bernie Sanders. Uh, there's, um, Erica, Erica was just talking about how she got like a million dollars or something like this. Um, and it's interesting because, um, she was on earlier on a talk radio and she mentioned it. I just caught like a, a piece of it. Um, and how like, even like her own constituents are kind of upset at like, she, you know, she sold out as it, you know, well, that's when she right. sold out. Um, but it's funny because right. I saw a lot of, <laughs> a lot of places where her sign was up are no longer there. Um, and, mm -hmm. but again, it's this, you know, this is the hypocrisy of, you know, thinking that, um, somehow the, the, the DNC, the democratic party, and even to a large degree, um, uh, the RNC. The, um, the Republican party, I mean, this is the duopoly. These are the two major parties. They have major, you know, corporate backing. Um, there's a lot of lobbying that happens. And if you look at, um, 
if you look at the Republicans and the Democrats um, in our state house or in particular, but like on the federal level, when you see where they agree, um, that's when you have to run and hide. <laughs> that's when you have to, um, you know, there's, you know, they're pushing more war, right? Like there's, there's a right. couple on, of each party who still have some sense, but for the most part, I mean, where they agree, like more war, more spending, you know, more printing yep. of, of money. Um, right. And just just things that are detrimental to, you know, working Americans. And, you know, you have one side push, pushing like one particular aspect of the culture war and the other side, another aspect of the culture war. And right. we're here like. Um, Yo, just tell me the lot. truth. Um, <laughs> just tell me the truth. Let me make my own decisions. Let me raise my family the way I want and what I believe. Right. I won't bother you. Don't bother me. Um, I think the best place to end this would be with a quote from George Washington. And this is exactly why he feared two party systems. He said it would be the greatest downfall to this nation, um, allowing two party systems to have a monopoly on the political system in this country because it would create a teeter totter where nothing really ever gets done. We get a Republican in office, they attack, 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 attack. We get a Democrat in office, we attack, 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 attack. And it goes back and forth, back and forth. And yet we're in the middle with nothing getting done. Gas prices higher, food higher, education shittier, healthcare shittier. And we're just here in the middle. <clears throat> Unfortunately, that's, uh, that's the truth. That's the case. And just a lot of division in between. And that's why just conversations and getting together is so important so that we can kind of figure out, like, we have so much more. Like if someone who's really, really left and someone who's really, really right, but got together and they were just kind of like having a normal conversation. I mean, folks would realize they actually have so much more in common. Oh, both of our kids play, you know, soccer or, oh, we both like to, you know, go hiking. Oh, we both, you know, yeah, oh, this is really expensive. Oh yeah. Like, you know, we have so right. much more in common, but they don't want or even more like the division. Even more, right. They love it because that's how they retain their power and they never get held accountability. They never get accountability for the actions that they do. Like, who was held accountable for the Afghanistan debacle? Not a single effing person. And right. well, the, like you were saying. Corona fascism. And, right. you know, now the CDC has reversed. And now all this stuff is coming out with, you know, with Fauci and all this stuff. Oh, well, I'm about How to get my channel taken down. <laughs> 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 I almost yeah. made it through an episode without saying Corona fascism. Okay. Oh. Anyway, James. Thank you so much for joining me this evening, for having this discussion. It's not an easy discussion to have, but it's one that's really important. I hope that um, you inspire more parents to just speak out and ask questions and show up to your school board meeting. I think the school board meetings are even on Zoom. Listen to what they're talking about. There's some stuff that's right. in these school board budgets that's really crazy. And because parents and people in the community are not showing up, they don't get challenged. But when they do get challenged, um, you know, things can change. And look at, look at, you know, um, we have elections, right? We have elections coming up in November, but then we have another set of elections for March. Um, we have more, you know, school board and select board. Really, like, look at that and consider um, running. So if you um, don't make it for justice of the peace, would you consider running for your school board?
Uh, most definitely. Um, that's on the agenda either way. Um, I'm in this fight. I'm e- I I forgot to mention that I'm actually probably most likely 90% sending my daughter to a private school um, at the beginning of next year. But that will not end my fight with going against the school right. board and fighting for everybody's children because I, I just want to be a voice. Yeah, and and it shouldn't because it's 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 our taxes. Like it's it's right. it's the money that's extorted from us through our you know property and through our rent, and um, yep. we all we all have a you know we all have skin in the game, as they say. Right, and and these are our future doctors, our future construction workers, our future medical care workers, our essential workers. As uh, what was that? Uh, COVID fascist would like to say. Um, so. Mm-hmm. Um, these these children are as essential as my own. Yes, I don't have the sentimental um, connection with them, but right is right and wrong is wrong. And what our school boards are doing is wrong. Yeah. Well, with that, James, I really want to thank you for joining me. Like last minute, literally was last minute. I was like, do you want to talk about this? And you're like, yes, <laughs> we've been dying to have this conversation. I'm so glad we can yes. do it. I want to thank everyone who joined us for the live. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Susan. Thank you, Erica. Thank Michael, you all. all the way from Florida. I appreciate it. Um, thank you, everyone who's going to be watching on YouTube. Please like and subscribe to my channel if you can and share. Um, trying to get up to 100 subscribers so I can get my channel on Odyssey. <laughs> so hopefully I'll get go. there. I'm almost there. I'm at like 75 or 76. So if you haven't done it yet, go on ahead and do it. And I want to thank you again, James. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. And I look forward to when you, um, do you already have your YouTube channel up? Yes. Um, I'll send you the links and stuff after so you can put them um, in the episode if you want in the description. Awesome. I look forward to it. Um, God bless all right, you all. And thank you very much. Thank you. So hang on there one second. And thank you everyone for watching.